Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, you're listening to Fulhamish Extra, your weekly extra dosage of Fulham FC content. I'm your host, Don Betts, and joining me in today's podcast is Guy Barlow and Dara Curran. Coming up on today's show, we have a look ahead to Saturday's game at the KCOM Stadium against Hull City. Answer loads of your questions, as long as look at the latest murmurs in the transfer rumour mill. Joining us to look ahead to Saturday's game is John Coleman, who covers the Tigers for Hull Live. And we started off by asking him, what's Hull's 3-0 win against us an anomaly, or have they backed it up with similar results since we last played? I think there's been a number of results that have been quite similar to that. I mean, they played Preston at home shortly after and beat them 4-0 and a lot of teams consider Preston to be like you know strong contenders for the playoffs so so no I don't think it was an anomaly I think that that win over that 3-0 win back in November it came after an away win at Nottingham Forest and then a home win at Derby so so it was a really strong spell arguably their best of the season but we're on a good little run again at a minute and um, since Christmas they've beaten uh, QPR away, Sheffield Wednesday away, and Rotherham away in the cup. Three away wins in the space of six days. So they are in really good form at a minute, and it's going to make Saturday a really interesting clash. Gossie, you know, if, if Hull ended up beating Fulham at, at the KCON, which, you know, we haven't exactly got the greatest record there. I don't think we've beaten Hull City there since 1996. They'll obviously be on level, level points for Fulham if they were to beat us. Do you think Hull have sort of gone under the radar recently? I think they have, yeah. I think there's a few teams, um, I'd like to throw Millwall into this bracket as well, that, you know, that are in and around the playoffs that are strong contenders, but I think because they're not like a big name, because, you know, not many teams or like fans expect them to be in up and around there, that they're not really taking notice, but they are, you know, as genuine contenders as the rest of them. I think that, you know, as far as they're concerned, it's a bit of a free hit, I think, because there's not much pressure on them. They can sort of go about their business quite quietly. Um, and when you look back at the end of the season, a lot of fans will think they don't make the playoffs. So what? They've given it a good go. Whereas, you know, if you look at a club, I'd say, you know, I'd say Fulham are a perfect example of that, where there are plenty of clubs that perhaps they didn't make the top six. You know, there'd be questions asked as, as to why that hasn't happened. So, but I think, you know, teams like Hull City and Millwall and there's one or two others up there as well. But, you know, if they don't make it, then fair enough, because no one expects them to. Obviously, you mentioned those three away wins on the bounce and you beat Fulham away from home. Um, would you say the way Hull set up, they're actually a better away side than they are a home side? Um, I would have said, had you asked me that question about um, a month or two ago, yeah, then yes, definitely. Um, they had a sort of a, a weird patch um, that's only just ended where they had uh, one, I think it was in four away games and you know, a lot of those were against like relegation candidates, you know, teams like Middlesbrough and Charlton, you know, games where they should have got points on the road but didn't. Uh, Barnsley, another one where they lot went and lost 3-1 and, like, Barnsley hadn't, hadn't won a game in three and a half, four months, something like that. So, so yeah, I think that when Hull City beat Fulham back in November, they had 24% possession, yet yeah, one 3-0. And, I mean, that is a ridiculously convincing scoreline when, you know, they have, they've only seen a quarter of a ball in that match. So, they are, they are that team that they will soak up pressure and a lot of the time they'll deal with it very well. But on the counter, they can be frightening. They've got players like uh, Jared Bowen and Cameron Krasicki who, and, you know, other midfielders who are you know, very energetic. But I think if Fulham sort of overload too much and, you know, don't leave enough at the back, if City get the right counter in motion, that's where they can cause a lot of problems. You spoke about Jared Bowen. 
is he is he holds is he holds any threat? It's the one that everyone will point to because obviously he's been linked with you know Tottenham in, in in recent months, recent transfer windows. Is he you know obviously he's going to be the main threat? But do you think everyone sort of focuses on Jared Bowen without looking at the likes of you know the likes of Tom Eves? Yeah, 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 definitely. I think that, that that's what everyone turns to. That's the that's the focus. I think it's an easy tag to say that um, I'll, I'll, the whole city's only threat is Jared Bowen. But to be, in fairness, a lot of the times when you know whole city have won or have got points or have got goals, Jared Bowen is is the source of that. I mean, I think he's already had sixteen in the league this season. Uh, his record is twenty two, which he got last season. So you know he's almost you know on for a record breaking season already. So, so, yeah, I think it's easy to look at him like that. But, you know, there's other players like Krasicki, like I already mentioned, he's a really talented player, you know. I think he's got about, you know, 70-odd caps for Poland, played a number of big tournaments. So there's players like him, Jackson Irvine in midfield, very experienced at this level. Uh, Leonardo Silva-Lopez, young Portuguese midfielder, again, he's he's proved to be, in recent months, a bit of a, a, bit of a rough diamond that Grant McCann's plucked there. Uh, and then you've got like you know other players like Eric Lehigh, Cov Captain, who's very experienced. You know they've got there's you know a very solid team there. But you know when you have got a player like Jared Bowen, he's bound to shine. Obviously, you brought in Herbie Kane on loan from Liverpool this week. What do you think will add to the Hull City midfield? I think it's a, it's a good sign, and it's one that I think Grant McCann wanted to get done in the summer, but for for one reason or another, it didn't quite work out. And, Hull City had a couple of bad injuries uh, in midfield. They got sort of a couple of months back. Kevin Stewart and John Terrell, uh, both very opposite midfielders. You know, Stewart and more sitter, whereas Terrell is, you know, your typical number 10 playmaker type. But they're both expected to be out for another month. So, and City had a, a, a spell of having a lot of games, but not a lot of midfielders. So they're unable to rotate and, you know, freshen up freshen up in this field and with the amount of games there is in the championship plus like cut runs and things like that you do need that sort of squad depth so I think firstly it's another number in the door but you know uh, last season Herbie Kane got his first taste of senior football under Grant McCann whilst on loan at Doncaster and you know he he flourished there I think there's 49 games ended up in the league one team of the year and got and uh, many many plaudits I think it was, it was a surprise to see him well, A, not join Hull City in the summer, but B, not to see him join anyone in the in the summer alone. He spent the last half a season, you know, just, just in the academy at Liverpool. Um, so, but no, I think I saw him make his debut on Saturday in the Cup against Rotherham. You know, he seemed a very tidy player, very energetic. Um, he's a typical sort of sentiment that's got a bit about them, you know, in every sort of area. They look to go forward. He's got a really good passing range, puts himself about in tackles a lot. So, I think he's going to be an interesting option. Whether he makes his league debut uh, on Saturday will be an interesting one because the former for likes of uh, Leonardo Lopez, George Honeyman's just come to good form recently as well. So, but no, it's going to be an interesting acquisition. I think it's a really smart one from McCann as well. With the ability to soak up pressure, that's obviously great. And like Fulham have got this, you know, known weakness where we concede a lot of goals down our left-hand sides, or have done, you know, this season. But where can we actually get at Hull? Like, if if you were, you know, planning the Fulham attack this weekend, where would you say Hull's got a weak point? It's a tough one. I think it's um, it has been prone to the odd error. I think it's just one thing I noticed, for example, uh, when when the two sides played last time, is that Alexander Mitrovic got. Um, like you know, minimal service, and which which is surprising for a striker of, of of that sort of quality. So I think it's just giving 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 Fulham's best players their chances, and just because um, that's going to be really important. I think a lot of whilst we did have a lot of possession last time, we didn't do a lot with it. There wasn't a lot of clear cut chances. 
You know, there's a lot of sideways passes from the likes of like Kearney and Johansson without a lot of drive into the box. And I think that made things a bit easier for City. You know, they'd just be able to, you know, pressure them. And, and I think that's why they got a lot of their goals. So I think it's just, just keep just keep trying to sort of drive into that area. Fulham, as, as many of the league sides know, that their attacking options are very good. And, you know, one of the best in the league. There's, there's a lot of depth there and just a lot of talent. So just getting, making the most of that and, and sort of optimising the strength that we do have, I guess. I get, there are obviously positives for going under the radar, like Hull have, like, like you know, sneaking up towards the playoffs. But, um, you know, with increased success comes increased expectation, obviously. So with a game like Saturday against Fulham, a side above you in the league, but not, not too far above Hull, like, what is the expectation on the result? What are the whole fans want? Are they expecting to win or are they expecting to get a point or take it? Or, you know, are they just thinking, oh, well, it's a free hit? I think, yeah, I think it, it depends where, because I think right now there'll be a lot of mixed opinions, mixed feelings on this one. So there'll be some fans dreaming of the playoffs, and rightly so, because Grant McCann, ever since he came in, he said, you know, I want to get playoffs, and they're, they're pretty close to there at the minute. So the ones who are dreaming big and rightly so, then they'll want to win this game. And but and especially after beating Fulham so comfortably a few months ago, that again they'll think we've beaten them before and beat them again, especially at home. So so there'll be some thinking like that, and then there'll be others that think, oh, you know, some very respectable side in this division, expect them to be right up there come May. So again, a bit of a free hit. But the form city you're in, you wouldn't think that. I think fans would be disappointed if if they weren't completely at it because they know it's a winnable game and they've proved the season any team they've played against it is a winnable game it's just a case of what City team turns up which has been a case in, in certain matches of the season in in recent years, we have not had whole City's number, I think that's fair to say. Obviously, we've had a couple of home wins. Obviously, there was that crazy FA Cup one win. Uh, Marcus Ben only saved two penalties in the last minute. But, you know, we haven't, as I said, as I said before, we haven't beaten Hull City at, away from home since 1996. Obviously, since you got promoted to the Premier League, you know, you had that Giovanni screamer against us. We had the 6 0, which I had the unfortunate misery of attending. Um, there was the 2 1, which I think Sonia Luco scored the win. I think that was in August. We had two severe injuries in that game as well to Matt Smith and Marcus Bettinelli or Matt Smith injuring Marcus Bettinelli is what, uh, what I mean and then obviously there was the 2-2 two, two, um, two years ago w- why do you think Hull seemed to have this good record against Fulham especially um, especially at home uh, in, in short I think it's just one of those things you get it in football and Hull City got a similar record away at Middlesbrough it sounds equally if not more dismal than, than Fulham's at Hull to be honest and I think you just get behind football. I don't think there's anything specific to it. You know, you get certain teams that struggle at certain venues for one case or another, and there's never a particular a thing to it. I think um, that you know, turning turning attention to this weekend, I think that it's it's one of those where, whilst it's a good sort of omen to have, I don't think anyone will really be thinking about it. And at the same time, records are there to be broken, aren't they? So, so I think that, and especially. The way that Scott Parker praised the whole city side when they when they won down there a few months ago was that they are he, he called them the best counter-attacking team in the league, and you know that's high praise for a team that at the time were I think it, they were quite far off the playoffs. I think they were about you know 12, 13. I can't remember because they haven't been as close as they are now. You know all season, it's by far their best 
in terms of closing in on the top six. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those where I don't think there's any particular reason or strategy to it, but at the same time, it's one that you have to be wary of and just can't rest on history too much. John T, before we let you go, uh, score prediction for the weekend. Oh, it's a tough one. It, it really is a tough one because I think that whoever, whoever does get a good result out of this, it will kind of dictate their season. But I'd have to say with the form City are in, uh, I'm going to go for a... I'd go out there and say 2-1, Hossie. Thanks, John T. Uh, John T. Coleman there, digital football writer for Whole Live. Guys, before we hit the ads, uh, score predictions for Saturday. I think he's absolutely right. 2-1, Hull. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, rough. Going against your own team. I mean, guy, I don't really sort of ever back for them. Any of these predictions, <laughs> to be perfectly frank. Then we get excited when, if we get a result. I don't think we're going to win. You so I'm going to go for a slightly more positive and go and go for a 2-2. And Dara? I'll say 2-0 Fulham. Would you like the latest Fulham breaking news straight to your phone? I thought you might. If so, sign up to the Fulhamish WhatsApp channel and you'll receive regular match day updates, transfer updates, breaking FFC news and podcast alerts. It's 100% free and you can opt out anytime if you want. To sign up, go to fulhamish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp and follow the instructions. That's fulhamish.co.uk forward slash WhatsApp. As the transfer windows open, it's only right we go through the latest moments from the rumour mill. We started off by talking about the news that Ivan Caviero has joined the club on a permanent deal from Wolves. This news obviously came yesterday and a lot of people were sort of... There was a rumour transfer fees of up to £15 million. I think it will probably be instalments FC as usual for Fulham. <laughs> um, but yeah, he joins on a permanent deal. I'm seeing this as I feel like they want to open up a loan slot. Absolutely. I feel like this is the only reason to make this deal permanent because I was always under the impression that this was one of the deals that was dependent on promotion and Bobby Reid was the only one that was, right, we're going to buy him anyway. And, you know, it's it's seeing what they're going to try to bring on because, yeah, I still can't see him spending money on players we don't already own in January. I think it's, I think it's risky business when you're aiming for promotion, especially with financial fair play rules because I feel like if it doesn't work, then it doesn't. It, it's just obviously going to cost you a lot more money than it would if you ended up getting promoted. So, it'll be. I think it's interesting to see who they want to try bring on loan instead. Yeah, um, and what position as well? Like Dara mentioned, a possible right back instead of Christie, which probably would be my preference as well. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> maybe even another centre back if if you know Mawson has hardly set the world alight, and as we just mentioned, Reams probably passed it. Another defensive reinforcement would would be my preference rather than midfielder or another winger or another maybe a striker of some description as a backup but Joe Bryan uh, rumoured with a move to Watford we've just been talking about how we've not seen the best of him since he's joined Fulham would you take the money yes I would <laughs> if if it means just signing a competent defender like at left back then I'm I'm more than happy for Watford to come in for him because like I've I've not been convinced by Joe Bryan's this season especially at all I think he's been quite poor I think yes he has his persona on social media where he reads books and talks to his mate in his flat but I don't actually think he's been that good at football <laughs> this season so far and if it meant we, I, but I do think it's one of those transfers where we just wouldn't let him go without having a replacement lined up because we don't have another left back exactly yeah I, I'm not sure I'd be willing to rock the boat that much in terms of he is like you know one of the cliche first names on team sheet like he there is no one There's behind no one him <laughs> um he he is absolutely key 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 like first team player not just a squad member i'm not sure i'll be willing just to you know get a few bob and sell him off without you know yeah i feel it, like it's, 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 it's in, the, in the middle of the season it's definitely a deal which you'd want another player lined up for 
He's one of our more creative players as well. Uh, aside from Caviero, Knockart and maybe Kearney, he'd be the next one that's going to be whipping balls into the box. Absolutely. And we need some We need some supply for Mitrovic, so if you take that away, who, who's going to put the balls in? I bet I bet he's right up there with crosses put in Fulham this year. What about successful crosses? I bet he's right up there for crosses put in. We, <laughs> we haven't had too many successful crosses no, from yeah, any player. We've probably had about like two all season. <laughs> Can he do it in the Premier League? He could, he could do it as a backup of the Premier League, which is what exactly what Watford want. They've got like a massive injury list don't they yeah they do uh, Holobas has been out for a while I think so they've been playing Kika Firmino at left back Is but you know Joe Bryan you've just said he's not even doing well in the championship he, the step up wasn't great from last year either it's a weird it's a weird move from Watford's perspective he might step up though you know like it, it, it could be one of those things yeah I that... feel like he just he's never had the competition for places which is I think a reason why he's probably been so not so poor but why he hasn't been at his best or what we know he is because you know when there isn't someone you've pushing you for that spot I, don't, I just think he probably maybe has gotten too comfortable in a position I wonder if he's fully fit you know because last season he was in and out of side with um, wh- whatever he had it was like a thigh problem or something like that and even this year, he went off early in one of the games, and then so it was the whole game. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course, the whole we, game. We he, had he went La Marchand. Yes, he went off in like the second minute, didn't he? Against <laughs> Hull, and it was it seems to be rushed back a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure if he's ever been actually 100 percent as a Fulham player. One of one of the interesting transfer rumours that we've seen is Fulham in a loan bid for Tottenham's Jack Clark. So he went to Leeds on lo- went back to his parent club Leeds on loan this season when he signed for Tottenham in the summer. Played once, didn't get anywhere near the near the lineup really. I mean, Fulham taking a player that can't get into Leeds' team doesn't seem like the right it move. It also doesn't. It's just a position we don't need strength in. Yeah, we've we, got we plenty of wide options. We've got Knockhart, we've got Caviero, we've got uh, Abubakar Kamara, we've got Niskins Cabano. It's probably our, our mo- bar central midfield, probably, or even more than central midfield, our most sort of built up areas. So it just doesn't really make any sense. I think for me, as you said, if we're going to increase or do better anywhere in this transfer window, it's got to be defensive reinforcements. I think our midfield and going forward, we're actually fine. I just think, you know. Once our first team defenders are out, there's not really anyone there. Who's going to be our Tyrone Mings, eh? <laughs> <laughs> the, the one who comes in in January. What did Villa go on last year? 11 match winning run, I think. Or it was certainly a long unbeaten run that got them all beat into the playoffs. But, you know, w- we need to consolidate playoffs. Um, you know, that's not, not a done deal. But who can be our Mitchfitch as well? Like, who's going to come in in January and actually spark our season into life? Yeah, because we saw in the season we got promoted when Target and Mitchfitch came in. They totally changed the season around. Target, it was like I mean, I think it shows how bad our, our left backs were in the last decade. That he was generally up for debate being in Fulham's team in a decade. He, he was mine, and he was there for six months. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, we in the last in the last couple of January transfers, we've had in signings making an impact in January. We had Ryan Babel last season doing his best to try and keep us up. He's asking for a transfer, so Tony mm. can't bring him home. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, and obviously Mitrovic and Target the January before, so. It shows you can do good business in this window if you can find the right players. You've mentioned Mitrovic a few times. Concerned that he might go. He's been linked with Spurs this week. Him and Steven Sessegnon as well, both linked with Tottenham Hotspur. Steven Sessegnon, not as big a loss as uh, as Mitrovic would be. Are you worried that he will go this January and have another go at the Premier League? No. I, if, if he was to go, I think the only, the only way he'll go is if you know we don't go up in the summer, then I might be slightly worried. But he seems to... He always seems to say along the lines of, oh, he loves it here. He, playing at the top level 
is important for him, but not as important as feeling loved at a club and he feels that at Fulham. So I don't think he would leave this summer. I don't think a club would bid a high enough fee. I think because it's January transfer window, Fulham would not send for anything less than 50. And he's had no. a couple of goes at the Premier League as well and he's not set the world alight. He did all right last year for Fulham, but it wasn't like amazing. Uh, do you think clubs would come in for him? I think so, because I think you know clubs see him as one of the best strikers with his back to goal. And that's, maybe that's what they need. So... I'm, I don't think a, a club will fork up, fork up the money in January no. for him. I think we're in a position where we can demand what we want for him if, if clubs are really intent on getting him. But I don't, I don't think he'll leave. Like, let's say he goes to Spurs. It's to solve a Harry Kane injury crisis. What happens when he comes back? He's not going to be playing games. Like, he's, got, he's going to get guaranteed game time here. He says he loves the club. He says he feels at home here. Yeah, I, I think if he was going to leave, I can't see him leaving London for start for starters. I think that is he, he yeah, would want. He looks to, like he's settled here with his yeah, family. Yeah, I now. don't. I don't see why he'd want to go to. I don't know, maybe a team like West Ham. That would seem like suicide, it's really, from football league suicide. Pa- for Palace, me. Palace. Yeah, there's Palace, but will Palace fork out fork out forty, fifty million pound on a striker in January? You think fifty mil. I think just because there's his value and then his worth. He's not. He's probably his value. His value is wasn't that, but what he's worth to us at this moment in time, it probably is. I think if it was a summer transfer window, you'd easily need at least thirty five still. So I just don't see I just don't see the other teams spending enough money to lure him away from Craven Cottage. Fair enough. Um, win against Aston Villa's taking you through to the fourth round of the FA Cup. Drawn against Manchester City away on the twenty fifth of January at three o'clock. I mean, it's not an easy tie, is it? No, I, I mean a lot of people were sort of obviously whenever it's an FA Cup draw, you want a ground you haven't been to away from home at Saturday three o'clock. I mean that's that's your ideal world. Yeah, and you know we've we've got Man City away for me like. I'm not too... I don't think it's a bad draw. No, like, I, I, I'm going to stop you there. I think your ideal world would be home to a lower league side. No, <laughs> I don't think it would be. Right up till the final when you yeah. have to play at Wembley. It would yeah. be home to a team in the division below you. Yeah, but I don't... For, for the cup, I want something a bit different. And that, you know, we, you say it's that... About, it's not about you, Dom. I know. But <laughs> you said, you said, yeah, but you said this last year. We, we lost to Oldham at home last year. Well, that was the low point in a whole, in a whole we, horrible mess of a season. What did we lose home to Leighton Orient in in previous that seasons? That was a decade ago. I know it was, but I'm still <laughs> gonna, I'm still going to drag it up. Like I just, yeah, I mean, Man City. I, I mean, I'll, I'll go, but I'm not expecting much after beating. It, we obviously we got beaten by them twice last season, but we only conceded five goals, and Chelsea conceded more in one game. So that's exactly. that's, that's the main, that's the main thing. Here. You think the three at the back will have to be used against City? Surely. I think it's going to have to be eight at the back if we're, if we're, if we're playing Man City. But no, I'm 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 not I'm not sorry, I'm not delighted with the draw. But I definitely think it could have been a lot lot worse. Like what? I, no, it could have been one team worse, and that's Liverpool yeah. away. No, I think as a, like as, as a as a day in the draw, as a day in the FA Cup, a day out, I think it's it's perfectly fine. I'd rather have that than go to the likes of. Well, obviously, Chris Palace got knocked out, but I'd, go, yeah. I'd rather have West Man City win than West Ham away. Really? Why? West Ham's a very good it chance involves, of winning. It involves going to West Ham's ground. <laughs> is the ground the most important thing, or the team you're playing against? The ground is the most important. Yeah. Thing, yeah. yeah, you're ticking them off the ticking off the list. Well, I've already, I've already ticked the entirety of the Premier League Championship. So I just wanted, you know, something something a bit new. We haven't had a good we haven't had a good FA Cup draw since Kettering away in like 2010. <laughs> Cavalero, Cavalera. Came to us on loan to bring us straight back up. Cavalero, Cavalera. Came to us on loan to bring us straight back up. As per usual on Love Sport Radio Show, our brand new host, Miles Blumson, we answer a load of your questions from Instagram. So make sure you're following us at Footmish Pod if you want your question to make it onto the podcast. We'll kick it off with Harry Druitt, who has said, uh, What's your preferred midfield three? I think. From what I've seen, obviously I know Harry Arsenal scored that screamer on the weekend, but 
for me, it'd still be when all fit Harrison Reed, maybe Josh Onimer and Tom Kearney. Just, <laughs> just, just because it's the, what beat Leeds. <laughs> How the tides are turned, no. eh? Yeah, I know. Me and choosing Josh Honor in my side. Like, what, Unbelievable. What's happened? No, I, like, I think, you know, I would have had Harry Arter in there before, but I think Josh Honor's really come into his own, in the, especially in the last month. I think that Swansea away game, I thought he was absolutely diabolical. And I, he, look, he didn't know what he was he doing. He got an assist in that game. It was not an assist. I he didn't touch the ball, did he, really? It, it came oh, off him. that attempted shot, was it? <laughs> it came off him and fell to Mitrovic. It comes to an assist, doesn't it? If you're playing fantasy football, yeah, I guess it does. Um, no, I just I think he's looks he looks a lot more apart when he's that middle middle of the midfielders in between the whole midfielder and Tom Kearney going forward. But with with my midfield three, I just don't think it's really looked that fluid at that many times this season. I feel like it's looked fairly disjointed. Maybe because we haven't had time to play the same midfield three over and over again. It's been chop and change. Mm-hmm. Johansson's been in one week. Arter's been in the other week. Reed's been in the other. Bobby Reed's dropped into midfield at some stages. You've got Josh Onwa coming in. Kearney, when he wants to play, is is in there. So I think from what I've seen, I just I'm just looking at that Leeds the, the midfield against Leeds, and I think that probably worked the best. But I wouldn't be obviously against the idea of bringing Arter in uh, into the middle of the park with with Harrison resitting behind him with Kearney ahead of him. I agree. I think it's something to. Well, that's something that I definitely forget is just the amount of injuries we've actually had. And I know you know you don't want to like um, be self piteous and be like, oh, you know, we, we we've had such bad luck with injuries, blah blah blah. Because you, need, you still need to go out and perform with the players you've got. But you know, the fact that Harrison Reed's has been in and out of the side, the fact that Art has been injured since October or whatever it is, um, hasn't helped us. As you as you mentioned, continuity is important. And even Onoma picked up an injury against um, who was it? Uh, Luton away, or, or maybe maybe it was even Leeds. He he he, he missed a couple of games over over the festive festive period. So just been all over the pitch. Kamara, Sessegnon, everyone's had little niggles here and there. So yeah, I think that that's probably one of the reasons why we haven't had consistent results is because we've consistently been changing the the team. Yeah. I think, especially in a midfield three, you do need continuity. We saw, you know, in 16, 17, and 17, 18, we knew what a midfield three was. It was Kevin McDonald, Stephanie Hansen, and TC. And I think, obviously, TC had the injury in, seven, in 17, 18, but where and Oni Norwood did a very good job when he, when he came into the side. But I think we've, we have had that continuity in midfield in the championship in recent years. And I think that's what we've missed this season. I think for the way we were trying to play, if I could speak, that'd be helpful. <laughs> um, if we, yeah, if we could have continuity in the midfield, then, you know. That that's what that's what we need. That's what's so crucial to decide to bring the ball from our dodgy defence into our good attack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to the next question from uh, George Rossiter. Best limbs at the cottage. I don't think you can beat second against Hamburg. I, for me, that's always going to be the best. I mean, if you if you're going more recent seasons, I think Kearney's last minute equaliser against Leeds it's, was chaos. Yeah. I think I nearly, well, pretty much dislocated my mate's shoulder <laughs> celebrating that goal. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think a doy. Yeah, Dennis Adoy. One, I think an underrated one, which is probably worthless limbs, was obviously when we we, we beat Huddersfield one nil. Like I feel like that goal was celebrated. Like right, scene's turning around now. We've got a result. Just just going into the new year and not much happened. But for me, I always, I always ping it back to the Europa League one, the Birmingham two nil, and the Great Escape as well. Oh yeah, that's but, a good shout. Yeah, so I think people obviously speak to the most recent ones. You, you say obviously you know Mitrovic against Huddersfield. You say Kearney against Leeds, Adoy against Derby. But I don't think you can really get much better than you know Zoltan Gira pinging one in against uh, Hamburg. <laughs> yeah. Obviously Dempsey against Juve will be up there. But for me, that's real. Or just maybe in the full time, just realizing we're going to a European final. Any other limbs you can think of? 
I think Dom's got it covered, to be honest. Dom, Dom's <laughs> done them all. That's all the limbs at the cottage. Um, Victor Schlutz has said, if you could have one player from the Europa League squad, who would it be? Breda Hangland. Mark Schwarzer. <laughs> Doris. Dara's struggling. He's struggling for words. Clint? No. no. I just, I just think no, it has to be a defensive player, doesn't it, really? Yeah, Hangland or Hughes, maybe. Yeah, I just think you we... You've both, though. I, you can't have one or the other. We, we, right, I'll take Hughes just to be different. Hughes just yeah. got an MBE, didn't he, in the years on us? As long as you play over 100 games for Northern Ireland or something, you get an MBE. <laughs> well, to be fair, 100 games for your country is a pretty good achievement. David Healy's got one. Yeah, exactly. 100 games for your country is a good achievement. David Healy's got one. Steve, oh, I'll get... I'll, Give Stephen Davis, but David, it's just like it seems if you're good for Northern Ireland. You're only giving Stephen Davis one when he plays for Rangers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was terrible when he played for us. But no, I think just it would have to be looking at defensively. I was originally thinking, you know, fullback, whether you go John Pantsel or Paul Koncheski, but I think you just need that leader at the back. I don't think we have it. I think Mawson, liable. Mm-hmm. Ream, I think he's past it. And Hector coming in now. Once he gets fully fit, maybe is that leader we need at the back. He's a very, he's a very, very big bloke as we saw <laughs> on the weekend. But yeah, I would say uh, Breda Hangman just for that pure leadership from the back. How can you went with Swartz just because you don't think because he's probably the best keeper we've had? Yeah, exactly. the, that's or, the reason. Or the yeah. last time, probably the last time we had a keeper who would actually keep his number one jersey for more than like five minutes. Well, and he he clearly lifted the defense as well. Like that was a whole defensive unit, and he was integral. And he was yeah, he was class. He was so good. He was, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. No Dixon and Suhu like. No. Do you think it helped the Hangerland in front of him though? No, I think if anything's the other way around, that's what I'm saying. I wow. think I, I think Hangerland's and the defence performance was um, heightened by the fact that they had such an experienced number one behind them to who they could trust, and that's so beneficial. Yeah, fair play. Uh, Max T nineteen eighty eight. How much of an atmosphere do you think the new stand will bring? Absolutely zero. <laughs> <laughs> like the atmosphere. <laughs> lacking one stand this season has not been affected in the slightest <laughs> if anything it's gotten better because <laughs> no because you, you're squeezing all, th- all all sets of fans into three stands uh, you, you don't have to see so much open space I do think the atmosphere I don't know if it's improved but it's definitely not suffered losing 8,000 seats no. the Riverside stand will look great and it will be great for the commercial opportunities but I can't see what effect it's going to have on the atmosphere personally no we're not, we're not the most vocal of fans, let's be honest. Especially but, the Riversides. No, we're, we're vocal, just not in the ground. We're vocal like in the pub and in the concourse. And but, on Twitter. Yeah, but as soon as you enter the ground, it's like, all oh, right, I can't be bothered now. <laughs> we can get up for it. Like, at Leeds, in the Leeds game, like it, that was a good atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can have a good atmosphere. We just, most of the time, we're like, can we really be bothered? Exactly. That, that, that's what it mainly is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, most of us would rather be back in the line by now. So. <laughs> if, if we got to playoffs this year and we had the home semi again, that would be... Yeah, we, if we, if we got what Bre- it takes. Yes. If we got Brentford in like playoff semi-finals, let's say the atmosphere yeah. would be huge. Yeah, just not for league games. We're not we're not here to get an atmosphere for league <laughs> games. Just in the semi-finals. <laughs> uh, last question from Dan Williams. Uh, where's Stephen Sessegnon? Oh, Scott Parker. He seems to never tell us anything. So. He, he came on at left wing against Leeds in the last minute. <laughs> he brought him on because all right, Joe Bryan can't defend or Solskjaer can't defend. So just bring another fullback on and just double team on him. I mean, technically it worked, but it's very just. Football manager, oh, I'll put him a defensive winger to cover him fullback. But I think I don't actually know what's happened because he wasn't even in the squad for the Aston Villa game, and I thought he'd at least start, maybe get some minutes under his belt. So, yeah, I don't actually know. And the reason no one knows is because the club don't tell us anything when it comes to injuries. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon, and when I'm not winding up Reading fans, I'm listening to Fulhamish Podcast. That's it for this week's extra podcast. Thanks for Guy Barlow and Dara Curran for joining me, and hope to see many of you up at Hull on Saturday as possible. Come on, you whites, up the Fulham, and we'll see you on Monday for a full debrief of the action.